purpose of the book of Christ. Uh, my prayer is that today, as we get into the, this talk, that some stuff will shift around in your hearts and your minds to enable faith to rise up in you, faith to enable you to believe in Jesus Christ. And uh, if you're already a follower of Christ, you'll know that the Bible teaches that our faith in Him is being worked out and developed day by day, one degree of glory to another, the Scriptures say. So my prayer for you today is uh, that this talk will help you to kind of lay hold of Jesus in various areas of your life afresh, to freshly and to confidently believe that He is all that He says He is, and that He can do all that He says He can in your life, and to help you to make sense of whatever situation that you might find yourself in now, whatever it is that you're facing. That's what I've been praying for this week, that's what I'm hoping for, and hopefully as we get into this, that's what will happen. So today we're in John 15. This is the, uh, the famous story of Jesus as the true vine. Sorry, Andy and Esther, you're back from honeymoon. Fantastic. Welcome back. Way to distract a preacher from his text, but good to see you guys. Anyway, as I was saying, we're in John 15. Jesus is the uh, true vine. And uh, if you've, you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you would have followed the kind of the stage that we're in in this particular story where um, Jesus and the disciples have been having a meal, the, the Last Supper. And uh, it's just a, a couple of hours before Jesus is arrested, and then it's a few more hours before he's tried and then crucified, hence the, the Last Supper. And at the supper, he's, he's been washing the disciples' feet, and he's identified Judas as the one who will betray him, and he has been teaching them and giving them final instructions for how to live this life, this adventure of faith that he has called them into. And this has all been happening in a large dining room in a, in a house, in a suburb of what we would know as Old Town Jerusalem. And then we get to the final words of the supper at the end of chapter 14, in which Jesus says, come, now let us leave. And so everything that happens next, everything that happens for the rest of the book and uh, everything that we'll talk about today happens as they walk from this upper room in Jerusalem where they have been dining and they make their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane across the valley, the Kidron Valley, where Jesus will very shortly be arrested in just a few hours. That's the picture of the Kidron Valley. So you can imagine them walking from the city walls down through the valley towards the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be uh, arrested. And, uh, and they're on this walk. And as they're on this walk, Jesus just continues to talk to them, continues to teach them. Okay, now I want you to hold that thought for a moment. In a moment, I'm going to ask the wonderful Lily Gillard to come and read what Jesus says to them. But first, I want to show you just a very short video clip because I think it helps to make sense of what Lily is going to read. So if we can watch the clip first. Lily, do you want to come and join me? Oh, we might need some sound. I'm going to give you some tips today on seasonal pruning of outdoor vines. Many people grow them in their gardens, great over a pergola or over arches as we have them here at Wisley. They put on a lot of growth at this time of year and to get good quality grapes, and to keep them disease free, we need to make sure we're on top of a bit of seasonal pruning. With a few tips, we're going to look at what you need to do to keep it in check to give you that good fruit later in the year. So it's mid-June, the grapes have already put on a bit of growth and we've done some initial pruning where we have to control the vigour of the grapes. If we didn't do anything, we'd have leaves everywhere, shoots everywhere, it'd be quite a tangled mess. 
That raises the chance of having disease setting in. We get mildew and then later botrytis on the grape bunches. And we'll produce a lot of grapes that will tend to be quite small and perhaps overstretch the vine so that next year it doesn't produce so much. So by doing a bit of pruning, we regulate the crop, we reduce the chance of disease and we create a nice healthy plant with good sized grapes for this year and for future years. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love if you keep my commands. You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you that this is this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My Father is my command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Thanks, Lily. Brilliantly done. Well done. Thanks, Lily. That's great. Okay, so... Um, of course, this is just speculation. The, the, the Bible isn't clear on this, but I like, to, I like the idea that as Jesus and the disciples are walking through and making their way across the fields and the valley, that as they walk, Jesus is just kind of pointing to things that they see. Look, everybody, an olive tree. What does that tell us about the kingdom of God? And look, at a vine. Right, guys, gather around. Let me, let me tell you about vines. That's, that's like me and my relationship with you. I am the true vine, and you are the branches, and God is the gardener who trims the branches. Now, it's important to understand that uh, in the Old Testament, whenever a vine is mentioned, it is symbolically referring to Israel, God's people, Israel. And every time a vine uh, is mentioned regarding Israel, it's mentioned in the context of God's disappointment with Israel as this metaphorical vine, this, this people that he's planted into the earth that should have produced fruit and blessing for the nations and should have been a demonstration of God's goodness and his glory to the whole world. We read in the Old Testament that the, the surrounding nations were always meant to look upon Israel and see this fruitful, life-giving vine, and then look upwards and see Israel's God and come to salvation in him. But in fact, time and time again, as Israel rejects the prophets and the law, and as they rebel against God and his ways, the opposite happens. 
instead of living into their destiny as the fruitful vine of God, they just time and time again present themselves as barren until Israel's greatest son comes, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he fulfills and he exemplifies everything that God has intentioned for the world, justice and mercy and compassion and victory and provision for the children that he loves and faithful devotion to the Father. And so consequently, he says, I am the true vine. I am all that Israel should have been. All that Israel should have been, I am. I am the true vine from which life and fruit and growth and health comes. And every single failure of Israel is made right in me. In fact, every single failure of humanity for all time is made right in me. I am who you, in your human weakness and your frailty and your brokenness, could never be. And without even getting past verse 1, that should be all the comfort we really need from this passage, because it's every bit as true for every one of us in this room. Jesus is all that we could never be. In our fruitlessness, in our failures towards God and our fellow man, in His perfect righteousness, He is who we could never be. And that is good news for us, because it means that in every way that we get it wrong, and in every way that we fail to live up to all that God has for us, in spite of our brokenness and sorrow, as the true vine of God, He enters into that with us. And He says, it's okay. I'll cover you. I've got you. I see you. I've got the situation under control. You couldn't do it yourself anyway. Only I I'm the fruitful vine of God, and whatever you are facing, Gateway, I'm in it with you. Because like a branch is attached into a vine, you're attached in me. And therefore, all that I am is now yours. All my rightness, all my victory, all my blessing, all my fruitfulness, all that a vine is supposed to produce, look, you're attached to it all because you're attached to me. My father, your father, the master gardener, has made it so. So live like you know it. And as a branch in the true vine, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of what you're facing, you'll be fruitful. You'll bear fruit, healthy fruit in your life and into the world because you're in me. The true vine that gives life and produces blessing season after season. You'll bear fruit that does you good. And you'll bear fruit that demonstrates the goodness of God into the world. And verse 8, you'll bear fruit that brings glory to God. That's the mark of what it means to be a Christian. Be in Jesus. Bear fruit. Bring glory to God. Gateway, if you're in Jesus you will bear fruit. That's what this verse promises. If you stay in Jesus, you will grow and produce in all the ways that a Christian should. You'll grow in love and peace and kindness and faithfulness. You'll be strengthened in your faith. You'll be strengthened to withstand hardships. You'll be a more peaceful, peaceable soul. You'll see good stuff come from your labors for the Lord. It's all good news. All you've got to do is stay in Jesus. Abide in Jesus and you will bear fruit. 
It's nothing but good. And at this point, everyone in the room says, Amen! I'm all up for fruits. I'm delighted to be in Jesus. And he has covered me. He has done what I couldn't. I'm ready for fruit. So bring on the fruitfulness. Sounds great. Now just tell me, how do I do that? Just lay that fruitfulness on me, Jesus. And then we get to the second verse. And the penny drops. How does all this fruitfulness and goodness in our life happen? Verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he strips, he cleans, so that it will become even more fruitful. Sorry, what? The the Father cuts off the useless branches, I can kind of understand, but even the good ones, the fruitful ones, even, even they get pruned? I don't want to be pruned. I want to be happy and bear fruit. I, I don't want to get pruned. Brothers and sisters, this is so important. It's important in a world obsessed with youth and health and the next thing that will make you happy. To be a Christian is to bear fruit. We'll talk more about what that means in a moment. And the way we bear fruit is through being pruned, cleaned, stripped, cut back, like that video of the vine that we just watched. From what that guy said about why they prune the vine, He gave three reasons, to regulate the crop, to reduce disease, and to create healthy fruit. Jesus is a genius. Of course we're like vine branches attached to him from where our source of power for life comes. And of course we need to be stripped and pruned and cleaned to regulate the crop. The dictionary definition of regulate is to control something so that it operates properly. The Lord wants you to operate properly. He wants you to operate in the peace and the freedom of how he designed you. And he designed you to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship here in his body, the church, and to be a worshiper of his son, Jesus. And our hearts are not naturally predisposed to that. So that's going to take some pruning. To reduce disease. Throughout the whole Bible, there are instructions for how to reduce disease amongst God's people. In the Old Testament, that would have ordinarily been physical disease like leprosy or mildew so that it didn't um, spread through the camp. And that's obviously practically very important if you live in a small community. But it also makes the larger point that's fleshed out in the New Testament that disease in the family of God, in the community of God, sin needs rooting out from our hearts and from our community for the same reason, so that it doesn't make us diseased and spread through the camp. So from time to time, in order to be healthy, we need to be pruned. And number three, to create healthy fruit. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. You're in me. But my father, your father, is the gardener. And that means that he is going to, throughout your life, help you to grow in him and in his purposes in the most healthy way by stripping you back, by cleaning you, and by pruning you in season. A few years back, uh, Vix and I grew a vine in our garden. This thing was huge, and I had no idea how to manage it. So I just kept tying it back and indiscriminately hacking away at this thing. And for the first few years, it bore good fruit. But after a while, it just became an unwieldy mess, and I couldn't get to it, and I couldn't easily see the fruit, and the quality of the grapes started to decline, and then the leaves started to develop signs of infection, and the whole thing just became one big 
unhappy, tangled mess. What that vine needed was a, was a skilled gardener to come and slice and snap and prune and clean accurately to stimulate its growth and health. If you're in a, if you're in a season of pruning right now, if you're facing a tough season of opposition or trial or challenge, perhaps you're in a financial or relational or emotional battle of some sort, it can feel as if God has forgotten you. Or, or worse, it can feel that God is trying to punish you, that you've somehow sinned your way out of his care and into his wrath. This is very important for you to hear. The Bible teaches that God is not trying to crush you or punish you. Jesus took that for you and I on the cross. Jesus was crushed and punished so that you and I didn't need to be. The tough season that you're in, or that very soon you probably will be in, is not God's wrath on you. I often have to preach this truth to myself when I'm in a season like this, and it feels like God is angry with you or doesn't want anything to do with you. Gateway, listen up. That is a theological fallacy. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that because of Jesus' death on the cross, because he took the punishment that you and I deserve on himself, that in those hard seasons, when you feel crushed and condemned by God, we are to hear and pray for the Holy Spirit to apply to our hearts what Scripture tells us in Romans 8 verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And who's in Christ Jesus? You and I. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is Christ. We are in him. Therefore, there is no no condemnation. God is not angry with you. God is not trying to remove you out of his family. God is not trying to crush you. There is forgiveness and mercy and compassion. This is the father that he is. Just listen to what he says to us in Isaiah 54. He says, Though the mountains be shaken... And the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Sons and daughters of God, in his compassion, in his love, in his plans and purposes for you, so that you don't get all tangled up and diseased, so that you produce good fruit, he's pruning you. We need to recall this and etch it into our hearts because in your life at times when it feels as if the mountains are shaking, he says, my love for you will never be shaken. I've got you. I've chosen you. I love you. I've established an unbreakable covenant of peace over you and I've demonstrated all of this by placing you in my son. I'm preaching this to myself today, church, and I know this is a message that so many of you need to hear in this room too because I know you. God is not angry with you. God is not ashamed of you. God is not trying to punish you. God has chosen you personally. It's right here in verse 16 of this passage. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Why? So that you might go and bear fruit that will last and he's made that deal secure by not leaving you by yourself, but by placing you in the safest and best and most secure place that you can be in Jesus, in the vine. You are grafted in. You are the branches. Jesus is the vine. God is the gardener. 
And this will involve a life of fruit and therefore also a life of pruning. And pruning does not always feel wonderful. Sometimes it does feel like the mountains are shaking. Sometimes it can feel like God is angry with you or in some way ignoring you or punishing you. This can be a particular challenge for you if you grew up in an environment where punishment and anger were the paradigm within which you were raised. It can sometimes be difficult to draw the distinction between condemnation and punishment, which have no place in the Christian life, and skillful, loving discipline or pruning, which is what good and skillful parents know how to do in order to produce and bring out the very best in their children and to grow them into healthy, disease-free adults who know how to bear fruit in the world by saying yes to Jesus. Punishment is crushing, and it's very often done for the benefit of the punisher to satisfy their own anger. Discipline has an end goal. It says, I know where I want to help this child or this team or this military detachment to get to, and I know the parameters to put in place to regulate behaviors and to remove disease and to propagate growth and health. I've said this before, Vix and I have by no means got it all right as parents, far, very far from it. But uh, when our kids were young and they stepped outside of our family behavior expectations, we'd often move them out of the room and they'd have to sit on a step at the bottom of our staircase until they had rethought how they were going to adjust their attitude or their behavior in order to once again re-enter into the family fold in a more fruitful and healthy way. It was never a punishment. It was never meant to be. It was never a just get out of my sight. It was a discipline. It was meant to produce something in them, and it was always for their good. Sure, it never felt wonderful for them on that step, but it was a type of pruning to help them in, to adjust their approach in order to become more fruitful beings. And without this pruning work, the reality is that they, all of us, can become unwieldy and tangled up like an untended vine. And an untended vine soon becomes a fruitless vine, and a vine with fruitless branches is no good at all because it's not what a vine should be. And so, verse 6, its branches are only good for firewood. If a fruiting vine isn't fruiting, you should either prune it for growth or remove it so that it doesn't get all tangled up and diseased and bring disease to the rest of the vineyard. So praise God, our Father, who from time to time will prune you because he wants you to grow healthy so that you can bear more fruit. Skillful pruning always leads to harvest. So if you find yourself in a season of pruning, or one day soon find yourself in a season of pruning, the trick is to find faith for it and to find peace in it and actually to learn to find joy in it by trusting him and by trusting his sometimes strange work in your life as he prunes and he cuts back and he strips and he reattaches wires that have come loose from the wayward tendrils and all of it so that you might bear fruit in keeping with his intentions for your life to grow in him and all that he has for you. So what does that, what does that look like? What does fruit look like in your life? I think at one level it depends on who you are and what measure of gift he's given you and where he's placed you. So as a preacher, fruit for me might look like people hearing the word and then being transformed to live for him. And if your gift is making the coffee or welcoming at the door, fruit might look like people gaining a greater awareness of the warmth and the generosity and the hospitality of the gospel. 
So be faithful with what you've been given and do it to the best of your ability, to the glory of God. But the Bible also gives a list of fruit for Christians too. If you are a a follower of Jesus, Galatians 5 teaches us that we should all exhibit the fruits of the Spirit in increasing measure. And if we are rooted in the vine, Jesus, these are the signs of that. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How are you doing with these things? If you're in Christ, you and I should be exhibiting and growing in these areas. Over this past week, as I've been preparing this message, I've actually done a bit of a personal audit, and I've asked myself if I exhibit these fruits and if I'm growing in them, and that's not been an easy process for me. And as part of this process, I've asked some others close to me to to comment, and that has been painful. That in itself has been a type of pruning because I fall so short in so many of these things. So I've actively been trying to do two things in response, and maybe this will help you too. The first thing I've done is I've gone back to God and asked for his help daily through the Holy Spirit to grow in these areas. It turns out that, surprise, surprise, I'm not naturally gentle or self-controlled, and Just like a branch cut off from a vine, I can't grow that fruit myself. It has to come from the vine and the root system that it belongs to. And as we've already covered, for us, that's that's Jesus. And so I've been going to him and saying, I can't do this. I'm not naturally like this. Can you please help to grow this fruit in me? Help me to grow in these areas. And the second thing, and it's amazing how conscious you become of this once you push into it, is to look for opportunities to practice them. So on a number of occasions this week when I've been tempted to anger or selfishness or to give someone a piece of my mind, I've had to deliberately stop and breathe and think about what kindness and gentleness and self-control might look like in that moment and then do it. Friends, think on your life and walk. How are these fruits being worked out in you? How, how do you respond when the kids play up, when that person speeds past you on the road, when you can't get your way with that call center agent? Maybe think about your interactions, even with others in this room. Have you actively demonstrated love and kindness and patience with people here? Don't, don't, don't look at this from a defensive perspective, like, well, I've not done anything wrong. Have you outdone one another in showing honor? Do you need to? He prunes. You go through tough times so that you're able to do that. Don't waste it. Perhaps the sermon is a type of pruning for you provoking you to do something, to go and make a situation right, if you've sinned against God or man in any way, whether in the church or outside in the world, then you really need to go and make that right between yourself and God and between yourself and that other person as well. Now, I want to be careful here because the danger of a message like this is to push us into moralism. It's the temptation to go out from here and to think of all the things I have to do to be a good person. And there is undoubtedly some stuff that we need to go and do and some stuff that we need to push into. But here's the scandalously good news of the gospel. It's verse 3. He's talking to the disciples. But this passage, of course, talks to us. Jesus says to them, you are already clean. You are already pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. 
You are already, you've already been readied for growth because of your adherence to and your trust in the Word of God spoken over you. The disciples were not yet the finished product. God would still be working in their lives to bring about wholeness and holiness, but they also aren't who they once were. The gospel had and would continue to transform them still, just like us. We are not yet the finished product, but every time we receive and apply the word of God in our lives, we're being transformed. As it says in 2 Corinthians 3, from one degree of glory to another, being transformed to become more like Jesus. We are not who we once were. We're not who we are yet to become. The pastor Matt Chandler talks about this so helpfully. He says that seasons of pruning, they can be rough, but then you kind of wake up one day and you've been transformed just a little bit more into the likeness of Jesus. You're a little bit freer. You're a little bit more emotionally healthy. You're a little bit more able to undertake and endure that hardship. And you've gone from 26 degrees of glory to 26.2 degrees of glory through that season of pruning. Sometimes those seasons are deeper and you, you go from 39 to 42%. I don't know how it works, but I know that we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. I don't know if you've ever found this to be true, but without, without question, the, the greatest catalyzers of faith in my life and the moments where I've really had to do the hard yards of working out what I believe and asking God to strengthen me to believe are the seasons of suffering, the seasons of pruning. I don't like them, but they're so beneficial. And more often than not, I've emerged from those times just a, a bit stronger and a bit more determined in my faith, just able to feel a little bit more and enjoy and know the love of God in my life when his fathering has come to me in the form of pruning, of cleaning, of shaping, of moving me from one degree of who I am to one degree closer to who he'd have me be. Think about that night in the valley as Jesus is talking. Think about Peter, the disciple, as he hears these words about the true vine standing in a field with Jesus that night. Peter is the one who Jesus will eventually establish his church on. He's the chosen one. Jesus is saying, Peter, you are clean and pruned and ready for growth. In that moment, Peter is probably less than two hours away from drawing his sword in anger to chop off a Roman centurion's ear. He's probably less than nine hours away from completely denying Christ. Three times. He wasn't who he was, but he also wasn't yet who he would become. He, like us, like every fruit-bearing Christian, would have to go through seasons of pruning in order to grow in Christian maturity and faith to bear godly fruit. This is what that same Peter says about the trials of life in his letter written 30 years later. He says, rejoice in hardships. Why? Because God is doing something through them. He's revealing something in you. This is his letter. He says, in all this, you rejoice, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These, these sufferings have come so that the present, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which even gold perishes through, though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith in Jesus, through which you will receive the crown of eternal life, 
is more precious to God than any gold, and it's shaped and hammered out and revealed in trial and suffering and hardship. There is simply no easy route for the Christian disciple. I don't know why we ever thought that it, there would be. It's fruitful, but it's pruning. And Peter is saying to you, in your times of pruning, hold on, hold on, hold tight, remain in the vine, hold on to Jesus, abide in Jesus. It's not the suffering itself that produces the growth, it's the staying in Jesus while you persevere through it. So stay in him. It's tough now, but it will produce something in you of everlasting value, which will give you peace and confidence in him now and eternal glory with him in the ages to come. That's the hope of the Christian life. Remain in the vine. Remain in Jesus. Let his hope rise over you. If you want to live, be in the vine. Come to Jesus. Let the Father garden you. Persevere when he prunes you. He is doing something. He's making you like Jesus. He is removing disease and he is stimulating growth. Let his pruning reveal the gold that is your faith. Let him build you and shape you from one degree of glory to another. He modeled this for us himself at the the moment of the, the greatest pruning that the world has ever seen. He went to the cross for you and I, died to make all this possible, to make us right with God. No, no longer servants, as passage says, but, but friends of God. He endured a pruning moment that ran so deep that it would change everything for all people, for all time. And three days later, when he rose up from the grave, he established a harvest for all time, for all people who would say yes to him and are in him by overcoming death so that we need never die, and offering us life in him and full adoption as much-loved sons and daughters into his family right now. Only Jesus offers that. Only Jesus is the true vine. Only Jesus offers life and rest for your weary, searching soul. Only he is the vine into which you can be rooted and from whom you can find life and fruitfulness. So come to him today. Find yourself in the vine today. Remain in him today. Remain in the vine. Should we pray? Father, I thank you so much that you so loved us, you so loved the world, that you gave us Jesus. Sent him into the world, present yourself alongside us, walked the journey we've walked, endured the hardships and the pain that we endure, and so much more as you went to the cross and removed our sins from us as you died, that criminal's death unjustly on our behalf, crushed and punished so that we needn't be. Thank you that we stand here today, those of us who said yes to to you, as branches grafted into the vine. Branches don't just fall off by themselves. They can only be removed by the master gardener And Father, you have promised through the infilling of your Holy Spirit to keep us in Jesus. What a wonderful gift that we've been given this morning, that we find ourselves in you, that there is now no condemnation, and that we're promised that alongside seasons of pruning, alongside the the hardships and the the natural consequences of a fallen creation, that too we will also be fruitful and bear fruit and demonstrate fruit into the world. And so, Jesus, I pray now 
would you come to us again? Holy Spirit, I pray, would you pour yourself into us again? Would you soften our hearts? Would you prune us? Would you clean us? Would you cause us to rise in confidence that in spite of what we face, that you are good, you are sovereign, and you're in control, and you're doing a good thing in us? And I pray for each of us here at Gateway that we would bear rich, healthy, bountiful fruit for your sake and your glory. Amen.